can't find water, you don't carry enough with you, you may be hard-pressed to find it. No, that's one of the, the big killers of migrants, is just trying to cross that stretch. About five to six billion annually uh, is, is going into uh, smuggling. So far this year, one person has died for every 42 crossing from North Africa to Italy. Last week we spoke about human trafficking and the horrific ordeal people are forced to go through every day. This week we're going to be talking about human smuggling. And I'm sure some of you might be saying, what's the difference? And yeah, they're terms that we hear being used almost interchangeably, but they are different. To oversimplify this, those who are trafficked are often coerced, exploited or enslaved, whereas those who are smuggled have entered into a consensual relationship with their smugglers and they are free at the end of their journey. Of course, as I said, this is oversimplifying it and it doesn't take into account the danger, potential abuse and indeed those who do use the services of smugglers can sometimes end up being trafficked. You're listening to The Impact, Coronavirus and Organised Crime from the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organised Crime. I'm Jack Megan Vickers. For 12 weeks, this special edition weekly podcast is looking at how the ongoing coronavirus is impacting on organised crime around the world and how the illicit economy may affect our ability to respond to the virus. The US is the worst hit country in the world for coronavirus. At the time of recording, over 55,000 people have died from the illness. Over recent years, much has been made of the migrants traveling to the US from Central American countries. But with the situation in the US right now, is COVID making migrants consider returning home to Central America? And are they using the service of smugglers to do so? Anna Castro is the coordinator for Central America at the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. Some are returning home. In Guatemala, there are at least 20 blind crossings between Quiche and Mexico, where hundreds of migrants cross, not going to the United States, but returning to their country of origin. They can travel independently, but others do not. Yesterday, I talked to a friend of mine that lives in California. I asked him, how are you doing? What impact did COVID-19 had on your work? And he said, well, I do find work. I don't want to go back. And he doesn't know if any of his friends want to come back also. He had a very clear plan. He wants to pay his debts, his house, and have enough money to return. And when he does return, this is a very interesting thing. He said that he wanted to return mojado. Now that means that he wants to come back illegally and he doesn't think he will need a smuggler, but if he does, he would pay if necessary. Many countries around the world have granted border forces with additional emergency powers. Have we seen an increased securitization of land borders in Central America? Yes, yes. There are two examples. Costa Rica, 
announced the increase of police presence on the border with Nicaragua to prevent the entry of illegal immigrants. And in El Salvador, President Bukele has a more aggressive stand. He sent 2,000 soldiers to guard 142 blind spots to enter Mexico and announced that any person that is detected trying to enter El Salvador through a blind spot will be taken to prison. How has this increased border security impacted how human smugglers are working in Central America? Despite the fact that all Central America, except for Nicaragua, have closed their borders, this does not mean that cross-border migration has stopped. Smugglers continue to operate. There are a lot of blind spots in Central America. One of them is River Suchuate, located at the border of San Marcos, Guatemala, and Mexico. This river is witness of daily irregular crossings. Where it is harder to cross, people use smugglers. We are already hearing that some smugglers are profiting from the need of people to cross scrutinized borders. In El Salvador, for example, it was reported that smugglers charge travelers up to $200 for illegally crossing the Huascoran River, which runs between Honduras and El Salvador. And this was happening after quarantine was decreed in El Salvador. How have attitudes towards migrants changed during this pandemic? They have changed significantly because within a country, communities also have put in place restrictions in mobility. In Guatemala, for example, deported immigrants from the United States that lived in Quetzaltenango can go back home until they spend their quarantine time in the shelters built by the central government. And in Santa Catalina, Palopó, Sololá, Guatemala also, neighbors organized and tried to attack a returned Guatemalan, even though he carried a medical certificate with the negative result of COVID-19. Now, it is important to know that he has the right not to make public, but it appears necessary to avoid further rejections or attacks. This is not helped by the fact that the United States is deporting illegal immigrants back to their countries by air. And many in Guatemala, at least 43 cases of COVID-19 were detected among deportees. This makes the community fear them and reject them. That was Ana Castro, the coordinator for Central America at the GI. The US-Mexico border is over 3,000 kilometers long. Two-thirds of it follow the route of the Rio Grande River, but about 30% of that river is quite shallow. On either side of that river is desert in places and almost tropical in others. As a result of its length, the border is incredibly difficult to monitor. It would require hundreds of thousands of personnel to man the entire thing. Migrants decide to travel for any number of reasons, from being victims of extortion and organized crime to dreams of a better life. But to make that journey at any number of points along this huge border, some turn to human smuggling. So in the short term, how will COVID countermeasures affect human smuggling dynamics within Mexico? Gabriela Sanchez is the lead of migrant smuggling research at the Migration Policy Center at the European University Institute. On the basis of my field experience working very closely with smuggling facilitators, I can anticipate no drastic changes in their operation. 
it may be the case that initially as they adjust, as they react to some of the restrictions, that there are some delays and some people who become stranded when they're under their, their custody or in there with them. But smuggling facilitators are quite used to facing restrictions, delays, the sudden changes. And especially in the case of the U.S.-Mexico border, where during the last four years under the Trump administration, smuggling facilitators have been dealing with this constant changes in policy when it comes to enforcing border controls, crossings, their rerouting of people to ports of entry. They've had enough practice to know how to react and how to adapt and they are good at it. Due to COVID, both Mexico and the US have placed significant focus on militarizing the borders and and stopping people crossing. How do you think this will affect how smugglers work at the borders? First of all, we have to think about smuggling facilitators. As you can tell, I don't call them smugglers. We have to think of them as people as well. And many times, facilitators are people who live in the same communities where they perform their services or where they provide their services and as such they will be inclined to protect themselves and their families first many of them may decide to stop operating not taking any more clients staying at home or many of them are actually employed in other activities in the legal and the illicit economy as well so they may be able to navigate some degree of uncertainty for some time At the same time, you are also going to have facilitators who are going to respond to the demands of the market and who are going to definitely engage in border crossings, especially right now as there's so much uncertainty on the U.S.-Mexico border concerning the executive order that is supposed to come from the White House. There is a lot of uncertainty in a lot of gray areas when it comes to how this is actually going to impact migration. However, the kind of information that may trickle down to migrants seeking to cross the border, push them or force them to look for the services, usually paying even more for the assistance of a facilitator. Another aspect that we need to keep in mind is that restrictions on migration, restrictions on mobility have no long-term impact on smuggling. Smuggling is not going to stop just because a president decides that he's not going to welcome migrants anymore. Smuggling will continue because there are no effective, legal, dignified paths for people to travel legally. Migrants who use the services of smugglers or facilitators, as you said, to either transit through Mexico or move across its borders. Is this likely to be affected by the COVID countermeasures? Many times, facilitators, when confronted with challenges of this kind, may opt to keep people in their own homes. And they may be okay with this for a few days. The the problem at this point is that they may become more visible. And especially as people are traveling through Mexico, authorities may also be more inclined to engage in extortion, asking for bribes, if they are able to detect some of these transits. At the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if you run into facilitators who tell you there's really not a lot of surveillance. Everybody's very worried and scared that they may get the virus and we were able to cross right away. And how do you think 
COVID will affect the demand for smuggling services in Mexico. Do you think there'll be any change? Most of the migrants who are traveling through Mexico at this time come from Central South America. There's also vast numbers of transcontinental migrants. Everybody has been given the order to stop moving, right? To stay put, to go home. The emergency may curtail or suspend some level of mobility to some degree. There is no restriction that has stopped migration. While this is a temporary challenge that migrants have to face, doesn't mean that it's going to impact demand. That was Gabriela Sanchez, the lead of migrant smuggling research at the Migration Policy Center, European University Institute. We'll be back after this. There is plenty more to come in the show, so stay with us. I'd just like to take this moment to say that the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime are across social media. Just search for the Global Initiative and you'll find us. You can also visit our website, which is www.globalinitiative.net, where you can find in-depth reports and analysis in subjects as far-ranging as ISIS antiquities trafficking in Iraq, to human smuggling, to wildlife crime, as well as the latest COVID crime watch. Let's get back to the show. In 2011, countries across North Africa and the Middle East saw popular revolutions which ended with the toppling of governments across the region. One of those that fell was the Libyan dictator Colonel Gaddafi. Since then the country has descended into sectarian violence with competing groups vying for power with one another. Over the preceding years, as instability and violence wreaked havoc on the country, unprecedented numbers of migrants turned to human smugglers to get them across to Europe. An estimated 150,000 attempted the crossing each year between 2014 and 2017. Prior to the revolution of 2011, the country already had a significant black economy. But like the rest of the country, it became fragmented and changed. The competing militias along the coastal areas took control of human smuggling. But by 2017, this had changed again. The militias had taken a step back and the smaller gangs who operated in a more clandestine way took over the illicit trade. Now the coronavirus has forced Europe to close its borders, what changes are we seeing on the Mediterranean crossing? Mark McAuliffe is the director of the North Africa and Sahel Observatory here at the GI. As a result of the COVID crisis, we've seen a significant decrease in the number of migrants crossing into the country. This has happened for a number of reasons. So, so obviously there's been the shutting of borders. There has been an increase in border security across all of Libya's borders. But the most relevant would be the Algerian border, where we've seen the Algerian authorities step up security, Nigerian authorities and Chadian authorities all stepping up security. But we've also seen this on the Libyan side. There is still movement. So recent information we've been collecting suggests that there is activity, but it's been very undermined. So there have been various militias that have actually taken action against human smugglers and also have been rounding up migrants and enacting deportations. In the coastal areas, we've seen a bit of a different story. 
although the number of departures has not increased dramatically, there's been a, a slight increase. That's in keeping with sort of a, a, a higher tempo registered since April of last year when a new war developed in the capital, Tripoli. And one of the developments has been that the Libyan Coast Guard has been less active. But since the, the COVID crisis, there's been an actual reluctance on the part of Coast Guard crews to intercept and rescue migrants in distress. This is because they feel they're not prepared, not equipped. And there's also big problems with disembarkation. So when, when they bring migrants back to shore in Libya, there's a very uncoordinated and chaotic process with regards to disembarkation. So very often, Coast Guard crews end, end up with 100 or more migrants on their hands with no green light to, to disembark these migrants and, and no immediate plan of how they're going to handle them. So with Europe in lockdown, what does this mean for those still attempting to make the crossing? This is creating a very, very dangerous situation in the central Mediterranean, where you've got effectively the Libyan Coast Guard, which has been hampered by the war on Tripoli, which has now been as exasperated by the COVID crisis. You've got the Maltese and Italian authorities that are essentially declaring that they cannot guarantee any, any search and rescue. And you've got a situation in the coastal areas of Tripoli that in the coming months might actually be pushing more people out to sea. In the coastal areas, you've got groups of migrants whose livelihood depends on day labor, essentially, much like we see in many parts of Europe. And this means that these migrants, these people would be the least able, would have the least financial means to be able to sustain something like prolonged self-isolation, for instance. Now, there have been some actions in different, different parts of Libya where Libyan communities have actually been raising money for migrants, but we, we don't think, particularly in the current context where, where the Libyan population in general is under considerable strain from the war, with escalating food prices, with fuel shortages, with shortages of electricity, sometimes cuts in the supply of water, etc., etc. We don't think that this is going to make the impact necessary for these thousands of migrants who are living in, in coastal areas and whose channels of support are, are very, very limited. So at a time where we're, we're seeing this push factor, where people living in these areas are, are, are going to be possibly considering more the sea crossing, we're seeing a situation where the search and rescue capacity in the central Mediterranean is at its lowest point since we've been monitoring, basically. That was Mark McAuliffe, the director of the North Africa and Sahel Observatory at the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organised Crime. So from the predominant focus of the coastal region into the desert, now we're looking further down the smuggling routes in the Sahel-Sahara region, which covers Mali, Niger, Chad, southern Algeria, southern Libya and Darfur. This is a region with a long history of illicit trades, from arms to drugs and from counterfeit pharmaceuticals to human smuggling. And as we heard earlier, the collapse of the Libyan state in the early 2010s created ripe conditions for an expansion of the transnational human smuggling network, connecting North Africa and the Sahel region like never before. Although this trade has contracted in the last couple of years, it's still a well-trodden path. But with closures of official border points, how is that impacting smuggling dynamics such as routes in Niger? 
Alexandra Bish is an analyst at the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organised Crime specialising in migrant smuggling dynamics in the Sahel. We've already received some reports from smugglers in Agadez saying that they have adapted the routes that they take to respond to measures that were taken by Libyan militias who are patrolling the borders. So in late March, there have been a number of interceptions made by Libyan Tebu militias who are trying to stop migrants coming in from Niger in order to stop the spread of the pandemic. And as a result of these interceptions, passers I've spoken to are afraid. They are afraid that if they get intercepted, they will eventually get arrested or they will simply lose the migrants that they were transporting. And, and it's often the case that drivers are, are paid at the end of the journey. So once they deliver the migrants, so they incur a lot of costs. The new routes uh, that they've taken since these interceptions by these Libyan uh, Tebu militias who are patrolling the, the borders are dangerous. How are disruptions in Niger likely to impact the regional smuggling market and the northern route towards Europe? If the measures that are in place, so both within Niger, at the Niger-Libya border where Tebu militia patrols are taking place, and also on the Algerian border where the Algerian security forces have uh, reinforced their presence and uh, barred uh, a lot of uh, smugglers from entering. The migrant smuggling markets and, and economy will continue to be disrupted. And we've already seen the effect of this in the short term. Prices have at least doubled from the dozens of people I've, I've spoken to on routes going to Algeria and to Libya. Sometimes it's even tripled. So that's a, a clear short-term impact. Is COVID affecting demand for smuggling services in the region? I think that in the short term, the demand for or smuggler services will reduce because of the high prices that have been set by smugglers because they are unwilling to take these, these high risks for lower prices. Now, in the medium term, the economic consequences of the pandemic on economies across the region could push some poorer locals towards migrating. And I think that, you know, especially in a country like Niger, where you've got a, a history of cyclical migration towards neighboring countries such as Libya and Algeria, that this migration, the cyclical migration has increased in the past two years. There's definitely the worry that the demand for going to these countries, to Algeria and Libya, to find work will increase as the economic conditions worsen in the medium to long term because of, of COVID-19. So this is something we'll be monitoring closely. That was Alexandra Bish, an analyst here at the Global Initiative. And finally, we've looked at human smuggling from different parts of the world, snapshots of the impact COVID-19 is having on this illicit trade. So let's take a step back and look at the whole thing. Lucia Bird is a senior analyst at the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organised Crime and joins me now. Lucia, do we have a global sense of what is happening in the smuggling market? 
Well, clearly each region is different, but we can track some overall trends. So in the immediate term, we're seeing a temporary decrease in smuggling activity due to both movement restrictions imposed by the state, but also the fear of contagion among smugglers themselves and the local community. We're seeing some changes in routes, For example, in Morocco, although we've seen that land routes have almost entirely stopped, maritime routes have diminished, but they are continuing. And this travel overseas is almost certainly smuggler facilitated. And it may be that some of the land travel is shifted across to sea. And the movement restrictions and the fact that there are less smuggling networks operating means some migrants and refugees will be stuck in transit. Their budgets just won't have accounted for such long delays and they're likely to run out of funds. Now, pre the pandemic, we typically see migrants that use smugglers who run out of funds being highly vulnerable to labour or sexual exploitation. It's a bit unclear what form of exploitation would take place in the COVID context, given the closure of lots of informal businesses and the widespread fear of contagion. But what is clear is that the pool of vulnerable migrants and refugees will have increased, and we can expect a medium-term rise in exploitation by organised crime groups. And looking to the future, as the impact of coronavirus continues, What do you expect to happen? We expect that drivers for movement are going to increase. Many will be losing their livelihoods post-COVID and more will be displaced by food scarcity um, due to COVID disruptions to global food supply chains. So in the medium term, we expect to see a demand for movement. With current state rhetoric suggesting that the legal pathways for migration are likely to be narrowed even further, much of this movement will be forced to be irregular. And as movement restrictions, both on borders and within countries, make it ever more difficult to move independently, much of this movement will be smuggler facilitated, increasing the profits of the smuggling industry and making them even more pivotal to migration mechanics. Policymakers need to be ready for this. Thank you very much, Lucia. Lucia Bird, Senior Analyst here at the GI. That's all we've got time for today. A special thank you to Gabriella, Anna, Mark, Alex, and especially Lucia, who helped to make this podcast happen. Check out our website where you can find our latest policy brief relating to coronavirus and human smuggling. Remember that you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter about coronavirus and organised crime by heading over to our website, www.globalinitiative.net. Don't forget that you can find the GI on social media by searching for The Global Initiative. As I said, that's all we've got time for. So leave a review, like, share us with your friends. Why not subscribe while you're here? Next week, we'll be talking about drug trafficking. So until then, I'm Jack Megan Vickers. Remember to follow the health advice of health professionals. Stay safe. (laughs) 